as we open that word that's more precious than gold and silver, we'll uh, read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's on, I think, page 1182 in your pew Bibles. Uh, Last week we looked at verses 1 through 9 and the uh, difficulty that Paul would, uh, said would characterize the last days. Remember, the last days is the uh, biblical terminology for that period between Christ's first and, and second coming. He, he said that difficulty uh, would look like people being lovers of self and lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God, and that that would lead to pride and, and brutality and ultimately to the persecution of God's servants. That's what Uh, Paul has said thus far in chapter 3, and now he uh, continues, beginning at verse 10, saying to Timothy and to us, uh, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium, And at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Congregation, we've obviously been singing this morning through Psalm 119, a psalm about the life-giving power of God's Word. It says, revives us and instructs us. It stands forever. In fact, it is that upon which the world is founded, sheds light upon our path, and it gives life. The psalmist throughout sings and and teaches us to sing of of the power and the beauty and the clarity and the sufficiency of God's word. And yet, if you've been paying attention this morning as we've been singing, you would have also noticed another theme through Psalm 119, the theme of suffering, of affliction. We've, We've sung this morning of our soul being cast down to the dust of severe affliction being ours of wicked men lying in wait with threats of destruction and of distress and trouble finding us out. Just a moment ago we sang of the insolent smearing us with lies as we keep God's law. And yet God using even that to, to draw us more to his word. There is this reciprocal relationship in Psalm 119 where faithfulness to the word begets persecution and suffering. And yet persecution and suffering send us back to the word where we find comfort in it. Faithfulness to the word leads to persecution. Persecution sends us back to the word. We are strengthened to continue in faithfulness 
equipped by that word for every good work. That's the, the dance, if you will, in Psalm 119 between the word and suffering. And I would suggest it's that same dance that we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy has just been charged to rightly handle the word of truth back in chapter 2. And, and it was clear in the latter half of that chapter, in the first half as well, that there would be opposition as he sought to do that. In fact, the charge to uh, rightly handle the word of truth was preceded by a call to share in suffering and then followed by a reminder of all the opposition that Timothy was going to face and how he must respond to it. And we see that opposition and suffering that especially in, in chapter 3 where Paul says that in the last days there will be fierce difficulty. Boys and girls, you remember last week we talked about how that, that word difficult, where it says there will be difficulty in the last days. That was the same word used in Matthew chapter 8 to describe the, the fierce anger of that demon-possessed man opposing Christ and opposing his word. And so Paul has made it very clear to Timothy, even as the, the primary theme throughout 2 Timothy is to rightly handle the word, to, to preach the word, to continue in the ministry of the word, the, the other main theme is the suffering that would characterize his, his seeking to do that. Even in the passage that we just read, Paul spoke of how there will be persecutions and suffering. He says, indeed, all who seek to lead a godly life will be persecuted. And then Paul actually points Timothy back to his, his own time in, in Antioch and uh, Lystra and Iconium. That's, that's from Acts chapter 14, where Paul was nearly beaten to death. Yet he got up again and he, he went back to minister to the saints and he said to them, it is through many trials and tribulations that we must enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, here he says virtually the same thing. Timothy, if you are faithful to the word, you will be persecuted. That, that's the message of 2 Timothy 3 verses 10 to 13, that the word brings suffering. But just like in Psalm 119, Paul wants that suffering to send Timothy and to send us more and more to the word. And so he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation and equip you for every good work. They will strengthen you in the midst of suffering service. Rightly handling the word may lead to persecution, verses 10 to 13, but that same word will be your strength in the midst of that persecution, even as the psalmist found to be true in Psalm 119. And so, beloved, as we look around and find ourselves in difficult days and, and see that in some measure all who seek to lead a godly life will be persecuted, marginalized, mocked, opposed, that it's through many trials and tribulations that we must enter into the kingdom. We want to consider this morning what Paul says about the word to encourage us to remain steadfast in it. So look at me first at where the word comes from, and then we'll consider in two parts what it is that the word does. First, where it comes from. Paul says that all scripture is God-breathed. This is what we call the doctrine of the inspiration of Holy Scripture, that the reason why the word of God gives life 
is because it is the very breath of God. Boys and girls, you remember back in um, Genesis chapter 2 when God first made Adam. How it says that he, he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. As God breathed out, it put life into Adam. In the same way, the Bible is the exhaled, um, breathed out presence and power of God that gives life. I think Psalm 119 says that 10 or 11 times, your word gives me life. Because it comes from the giver of life. And so just as the psalmist in the midst of his affliction could turn to the word and be reinvigorated, so Timothy and we, as we share in that affliction where all who lead a godly life are persecuted, may turn to the word and be strengthened for service. It equips us for every good work. It strengthens us for service and helps us carry on. And the reason it does is because God himself speaks to us in it. This is no ordinary book, but is the very record of God's speech to his people, the words of God breathed out by him. If you have the King James in front of you, it says the, uh, the scriptures are given by inspiration of God. That's where we get that theological term that the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. But really, I think breathed out is a more exact or more uh, clear way of of saying it. For sometimes, we use the word inspiration to mean something less than what's meant here. We talk about being inspired by by seeing a movie, or uh, we talk about singers or or writers being inspired to write a song or or write a book, a a sort of internal intuition that that moves them to, to create this piece of art, song or painting. That's not what's going on here. This is not a a mere um, instinct or or internal intuition. This is not something merely internal where where Paul or Moses or or Peter are are writing by by a feeling of of something inside of them, some some sort of, of instinct that they have. But they are acted upon by God so that the words that they say, the words that they write are superintended by God's Spirit so that the words we've read this morning are the very words that God has given through them. This uh, definition from Matthew Barrett in his book on the authority of Scripture, he, he says that the inspiration of Scripture refers to that act whereby the Holy Spirit came upon the authors of Scripture, causing them to write exactly what God intended, while simultaneously preserving their writing style and, and personality, This supernatural work of God's Spirit upon them means that the author's words are God's words and are therefore reliable, trustworthy, and authoritative. It is the very word of God spoken through human instruments. B.B. Warfield said, written by men and bearing the marks of human origin, but nevertheless written under such an influence of the Holy Ghost as to also be the very words of God. The adequate expression of his mind and will. That's what we mean when we say that scripture is is breathed out by God. And and so we may not say, I don't very much like the Apostle Paul, but but I do like Jesus. Or, Or I don't like the Old Testament, but I do like the New. For each are inspired by God. The adequate expression of his mind and will. 
all of it. That's the significance of that first word in verse 16. All scripture. Meaning not just the, the law or the prophets or the Psalms, but every part. And Paul is speaking especially of the Old Testament as the New Testament is not yet complete. And he's, he's just said in verse 15 that, that he's speaking of the sacred scriptures that Timothy was raised on from infancy. And, and so he's speaking especially of the Old Testament, which is all that Timothy would have had as a child. And yet Paul is also conscious of the fact that he himself writes by inspiration of God. And so what he, he says here about the Old Testament scriptures is not only true of those, but it's also true of what he writes along with the other New Testament writers. Um, th- their writings are, are elsewhere referred to as, as Scripture, the very Word of God. And so while his reference in verse 16 is primarily to the Old Testament, what he says is also true of the New. All Scripture includes both the Old and the New Testament, everything that is called Scripture. The law, the prophets, the writings, the gospels, the epistles... The words of God breathed out by him that give life. That's what's meant by all scripture, every part of it. Both in in the macro sense of of both testaments and every book, but but also in the micro sense of every word and every detail. Again, to quote Warfield, the whole of scripture in all its parts and all its elements down to the least minutia in form of expression as well as in substance of teaching is from God. And so the implication of that is that we give ourselves to the careful study of each word. We use careful word-for-word translations. We commit ourselves to preaching through books of the Bible. We pay careful attention to the details because we believe that God inspired even those. All Scripture, both the Old and New Testament in every part, is given by God, and therefore the man of God gives himself to rightly handling that word, studying to show himself approved doing what Paul said back in chapter 2, verse 7, thinking carefully about what God says to us through men like Paul. You remember in 2, verse 7, after Paul gives those illustrations of the farmer, the athlete, and the soldier, he says, Timothy, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We seek to be people of the word. Because of what we believe about where this word came from. But not only because of what we believe about where the word came from, also because of what we believe about what the word does. This is what Paul makes clear in the rest of the passage. We're in verses 14 and 15. He says that this word brings salvation in Christ. And then in verses 16 and 17, he says that it equips us for service. Notice first how the word brings salvation in Christ. He says, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And focus on that last phrase, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Again, Paul is talking primarily about the Old Testament 
He's just had the sacred writings that you've learned from, from infancy. And, and so that, that has to be the Old Testament, which is all that Timothy would have had when his, his mother and grandmother raised him on the scriptures. And yet Paul says of that Old Testament, it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. In other words, even a book like Genesis or Leviticus is able to nurture faith in the Messiah. Paul is here hinting at the same thing that Christ makes abundantly clear on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, that everything in all the law and the prophets and the Psalms spoke of him. And how he must first suffer and then enter into his glory and how in doing so, salvation would come to his people. Christ taught in Luke 24 that, that the gospel is already there in the Old Testament. He says the same thing in John chapter 5. He says to the scribes and Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but you do not realize that it is they that testify of me. Gospel is already there in the Old Testament. Jesus makes that clear both in John 5 and in Luke 24. And Paul is here saying the same, that there is not some sharp divide between the Old Testament and the New with a a different way of salvation in each. But as the church father Augustine said, the New is in the Old concealed and the Old is in the New revealed. Gospel of Christ is there in both. He is the promised seed of the woman in Genesis. He is the rock that was struck in the wilderness in Exodus so that life-giving water might flow from him. He is the scapegoat in Leviticus on whose back the sins of his people are placed. The, the bronze serpent in Numbers uh, raised up in the wilderness. And as the people look to him in faith, they might be saved. He is the prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy who reveals to us the will of God concerning our salvation, the greater Joshua who leads us into the land, the judge who defeats our enemies and gives us rest, the kinsman redeemer like Boaz who who redeems us at great cost to himself, the Davidic king in Samuel, the, the true temple in Kings, the one greater than Solomon in Chronicles. You could go on and on and on. The prophets speak of him. The writings speak of him. He is the suffering servant like Job who silences the accuser through his faithful suffering. He is the bridegroom of the Song of Songs who delights in his people. He is the sweet singer of Israel who is the singer and subject of the Psalms the people place their hope in for salvation. It's not hard to imagine how Timothy would have been nurtured on the gospel from the Old Testament. Indeed, he was made wise for salvation through faith in Christ. From Paul's comments here, we see that the word, both in the Old Testament and the New, brings salvation in Christ. As John Stott said, the Bible is essentially a handbook of salvation. Its overarching purpose is to unfold the divine scheme of salvation. Man's creation in God's image, but then his fall and disobedience, God's pursuit of him in grace and promise to save, which culminates in Christ, who died to bear our sin, was raised from the grave and ascended into heaven where he is now for us. It is one day coming again. That's the message that is found from Genesis to Revelation. And Paul says, continue in that. Timothy, what you've learned from infancy, as as your mother and grandmother taught you the gospel, continue in that. 
And he would say the same thing to each of us today. In fact, by God's Spirit, he does continue in what you have learned from infancy from the Scriptures. Boys and girls, continue in what you have learned about Christ. Continue in what your mom and dad teach you about Jesus. Keep believing that. Paul teaches here several several things. He teaches us to, to read the Bible with an eye toward Christ, not to ignore the Old Testament, but to read the whole Bible as one grand story of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And he, he teaches mothers and grandmothers, he teaches us parents to be faithful in teaching that to our children from infancy. I keep saying from infancy, in the ESV here it says childhood, but that, that word is elsewhere translated in, in other translations as, as infancy. From the earliest possible age, Lois and Eunice were teaching Timothy the scriptures. Verse 15 is as strong an endorsement as could be of the importance of teaching our children the scriptures, doing so from an early age, not underestimating what it is that they're able to comprehend, and doing so with an eye toward Christ. Not just teaching them each of the individual stories, but teaching them how each of the individual stories fits in with the one grand story of God's grace to us through the covenant that he makes with us where he promises that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And the rest of the Old Testament is this continuing unfolding of that first promise of the gospel. Every passage teaches us something about our sin and God's grace and how he is going to redeem us through his son. And so from this, beloved, we, we, we're reminded, parents, of the importance of opening the word with your children. All of it. And of showing them from an early age how it speaks of Christ. That his salvation expected in the Old Testament, exhibited in the Gospels, and then explained in the epistles. We don't moralize it. We don't trivialize it, we don't neglect it, but we do for our sons and daughters what Lois and Eunice did for Timothy. We acquaint them with the sacred writings from the earliest age possible to make them wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And then children or young people, any here who have had the the privilege of such an upbringing, Paul says, continue in what you've learned. Give thanks for for parents who who opened the word of God to you and then honor them by continuing in what you've learned. Devote yourself to, to studying the word, to hearing it preached, to committing it to memory, to letting it dwell in you richly through song for it is this word and this word alone that is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. This word that comes from God, is is breathed out by him, brings salvation in Christ. And then we see in verses 16 and 17 that it also equips us for service. That it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word, the man of God, is a a phrase used several times in the Old Testament referring to God's appointed leader who who speaks his word. 
And so it seems that Paul has in mind especially those who, who bring the word, those like Timothy who have just been charged to preach the word and rightly handle the word of truth. He's saying, Timothy, as you devote yourself to this book, you will have everything you need. Even in the midst of of opposition and false teaching, even in the midst of persecution, of which I've just warned you, in this book, you have everything you need. As one theologian said of, of these verses, to withstand end time affliction and false teaching, of which Paul has just warned, Timothy and all believers must dedicate themselves to the study of the word, which is profitable, first of all, for teaching. That is to say, it positively uh, tells us what we must believe about who Jesus is, about how God saves us, about the importance of the church, the meaning of the sacraments, the work of, of the Spirit, the promise of life when Jesus Christ will come again one day to abolish death forever. Uh, these are the things that God's Word teaches. In fact, everything that we need to know is found in this book. There is no doctrine necessary for life and godliness that God's word fails to address. The Westminster Confession, in uh, chapter 1, which I would commend to your reading, it it says, The whole counsel of God concerning uh, all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from it. It teaches us everything we need to know. It is profitable for teaching. And yet it not only positively tells us what we must believe, but, but it also helps us by refuting error. Now that's the meaning of reproof or, or rebuke. Uh, basically, what Paul has just been telling Timothy to do back in chapter 2. He said, silence those who deny the resurrection. Rebuke them for quarreling about words, for for misusing the scriptures, for teaching error. As, As God's people within the church or the world outside the church fall into error, Paul says the man of God is equipped with the scriptures to refute that error. Error about eschatology and the strange theories that always seem to resurface about the end. Um, Error about the nature of of marriage and what God requires of us sexually. Error in the realm of anthropology and what it means to be human, to be a, a man or a woman. The scriptures equip the man of God and the people of God to refute error in each of these areas. Or whatever specific doctrine happens to be under attack... In the present day, in the time of the Reformation, it was justification. A hundred years ago, in the time of the fundamentalist modernist controversy, it was the resurrection and the virgin birth. God's word equips us to refute such error, to teach positively what we must believe and to refute negatively what we must reject. And that way, it leads us into the truth and gives life. And yet it doesn't stop there, but, but then it moves from creeds to deeds, as, as Paul says, that it's also profitable for correction. This is slightly different than reproof. Reproof has the idea of, of correcting erroneous teaching. And correction has the idea of erroneous conduct. In other words, the word equips us to know how to live. 
to correct someone when, when they become wayward, as in our membership vows. We, we invite correction when we become wayward, either in doctrine or in life. The word is sufficient for such correction. It equips us to know the way in which we must walk. As we sang from Psalm 119, it is a light unto our path that finally then trains us for righteousness. So this is the positive instruction in right conduct where the word of God teaches us how to live. How to walk in the way that Paul describes in verse 10 with with patience and love and steadfastness and right conduct. It teaches us the way that we must live. And it goes even beyond that and also enables us to live in that way, for it doesn't merely give us the command, but also gives us the power, 3 verse 5, of godliness, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ expounded to us on every page. And so what Paul is telling Timothy is, is, Timothy, as you preach the word, God has given you what you need not only to correct false teaching and to teach right doctrine, not only to correct wrong ways of living and commend right ways, but as you preach the word, and it makes your hearers wise for salvation through faith in Christ, that Christ that is expounded to them from the word will give them the power to walk in righteousness that you and they might be complete, equipped for every good work, that you might be strengthened to go on in service, even in difficult days. Paul, in these last two verses, reminds us that the word which comes to us from God not only brings salvation in Christ, but equips us for service of Christ, so that even as evil people and imposters go from bad to worse, verse 13, Smearing us with lies and deceit, as we sang earlier, as all who lead a godly life are persecuted, as you endure difficult suffering like Paul in verses 11 and 12. He wants us to know that the word of God equips the man of God to continue in the work of God. The word of God equips the man of God to continue in the work of God, even as we saw in Psalm 119. That as one's commitment to the word brings suffering and and persecution, opposition, both from without and within, that that suffering should send you again to the word, which is your source of life that equips you for service. That's the the, the development of both Psalm 119 and 2 Timothy chapter 3. Both teach us that as evil people and imposters go from bad to worse and we suffer, that God has provided all that we need in his word, which as we sang before the sermon is more precious to us than gold and silver. It equips us to carry on even in the midst of a world that hates that word. Ministering that same word to a dying world that so desperately needs it. The word of God strengthens the afflicted people of God to minister that same word to those who don't even know they need it. But it is the power of God sufficient in everything needed for salvation. And so we teach it, we preach it, we devote ourselves to it, and we pray that God will give the increase. As elders, you minister it house to house, As parents, you teach it to your children. As members, we share it with our neighbors. As afflicted believers, we we turn to it as our source of comfort. 
One writer says, the sufficiency of scripture that we see in this passage should awaken in us a desire to search its vast plains, to savor its numerous delicacies, and to follow its wise paths. If the narrow way that leads to life has been found, then there is nothing else to do but to set our feet to walking in it. Until he comes, come what may, even so come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. That you reveal yourself to us through these exhaled, God-breathed words of life. The words that ever since the beginning, Satan and his seed have sought to undermine. And so those who cling to it will be afflicted. But you give us in that same word all that we need, that we might be able to say, because we were afflicted, your words have become to us more precious than gold. Lord, we pray that that would indeed be the case. That even as Paul promises that all who lead a godly life committed to this word will be persecuted, that, that you will use even that to make us more and more cling to that word which is more precious to us than gold and is sweeter than honey because it reveals to us your son. It makes us wise for salvation. Lord, help us to devote ourselves to this word even as we look at the world around us and see evil men going from bad to worse. Help us more and more to resist the the false teachings and ideologies of a world that hates you by being a people of the book devoting ourselves to the public reading and preaching of it, studying it in our homes, teaching it to our children. Lord, help us to do this steadfastly, even as Paul here commends, that this word might dwell in us richly and then flow out of us to a dying world that needs it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.